You are listening to The Booked Podcast. This is Chuck Wendig, author of Blackbirds and Mockingbirds. You are duct taped to a chair with your eyelids peeled back. Please enjoy the ride. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Uh, this episode, we're going to be doing an interview with um, Bird Box author Josh Mallerman. And before we bring him on, just a quick bio. Uh, Josh Mallerman is the lead singer of the and songwriter for the rock band High Strung. He lives in Ferndale, Michigan, which I know we said it on the last episode, but that's probably one of my favorite author bios I've ever ever read. Well, he makes up for it with the really, really long synopsis. <laughs> it's like eighteen thousand words, I think. So uh, let's uh, let's let's call him uh, call him on his crimes. Josh, welcome to the show. Hello, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I never. Caught that spelling error, by the way, uh, Motley or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and it's weird that you brought that up when you did because I just saw a friend who was in town yesterday, right? He's in town from Boston and he was like, hey, did you know that there's a uh, spelling error in the acknowledgments on the last page of the book, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, really? I didn't, on the last page, you know? And <laughs> See, then you were so, shocked that anybody reads those. Yeah. <laughs> so then I, um, when I was listening to your review today, I was like, oh, man. There's a, so the book is like bookended with errors. But, you know, that's fine. But you should have seen the rough draft. Oh, I, yeah. And, and that's what, you know, we, we've we actually had situations where it's funny you bring that up. Because, like, we've had situations where there's authors where we're reading their books and it's obvious that, like, something didn't go, like, the maybe the wrong version got through or something. Where we're noticing way more errors than you would expect from a, a, a finished book. And we have to approach it really delicately when we bring it up to them because, like, we don't want to sound <laughs> critical or anything, but we we don't we don't want them to go around with a book that's got flaws. So it's like we have yeah. to it, you, we take it very you know gently. I had to send I had to send a writer an email once, and this was just on a Kindle version. It was just uh, published directly to Kindle, and uh, I was like, there are parts where like the notes, the word document notes appear <laughs> in the text. With like the person's name who put the note in there about oh, shortening this paragraph, yeah. So again, <laughs> yeah. really delicately, you're like, listen, I know I, I got this thing like the day it came out, so I don't know how many copies went out already, but <laughs> that could be freaky because some of the notes sometimes um, you can you can sense the editor getting like impatient. Like um, I remember once, uh, like the editor was pointing out the same thing like three times, like you know, pointed out the first time, and the second time she's like, this is what I'm talking about, <laughs> and the third time she's like. I'm telling you to change this, and you haven't seen any of the notes yet. You know? <laughs> yeah, that could I can't be... work with this guy. He doesn't take direction at all. <laughs> it can be tricky business for sure. But uh, other than other than the Motley, and that wasn't even you know it was just um, we pulled the synopsis from Amazon, so I didn't look on the book and see if it was that way. But oh, uh, good. Okay, I will look. I just assumed it was a, a, an Amazon mistake. I wasn't holding that against you at all. Oh well. um so typically when we do a review and then have an author on we give them an opportunity to kind of to give their impression of what their book is because we we spend a lot of time talking as readers about hey this is what we felt about it but um it's only fair to uh, when when you're on um to give you the a venue to to kind of give a synopsis of what you think the book is about in your own words uh if you want to take a few minutes to do that sure um i think that um to me, Bird Box falls squarely in the horror realm, all right? And the reason I bring that up is that, and I, and I think you guys mentioned that in the review as well, but the reason I bring it up is there are a number of reviews that say, oh, this is a 
you know, just if you're into dystopian novels or if you, you know, you're into apocalyptic stories, that kind of thing, this is up your alley. But I've never considered Bird Box a uh, post-apocalyptic book. I understand why someone would. But to me, apocalyptic stories always um, spark, you know, images of ashen skies and, and uh, you know, just dead landscapes and, and, and people like, you know, moaning and crawling along just like, you know, dead yeah. fields and, you know, trying to survive or whatever. To me, Bird Box is a very small story in the same way that, like, The Twilight Zone is. It's like a, it's a neighborhood, as far as we really know, as far as what we're involved with, you know what I mean. It, um, there's, it, it seems contained to, like, this street, this house, this neighborhood. And, you know, an entity has arrived in town in on the globe but in for the purpose of the book in town and this entity essentially personifies infinity um i've always thought it was fascinating and scary when people would say oh you know a man would go mad if he if he fathomed infinity or if he or if he attempted to fathom infinity and so of course i was always like well what what number one i would love to see that i would love to try to understand that and number two, what would that feel like to actually go mad, you know, be rendered insane by just trying to understand something, right? And so to me, that was that was um, that was a good monster, and I love the idea of like personifying that thing. Now, if that idea was outside on the front lawn, well, I can imagine me and all my friends inside trying to figure out what are we going to do. We can't look outside um, without you know being in danger of of um, uh, harming ourselves, going mad, that sort of thing. So, to, you know, when I describe Bird Box to people, that, that what I pretty much say is that that it's a, it's a very small Twilight zone story, horror story, that takes place in a, the majority of it in a house where five people are trying to figure out what to do about infinity, you know, pretty much on their front porch. All right. That actually just killed another one of our questions, which is awesome. But I do have a follow-up about that. Um, talking about people calling it a post, uh, a, a dystopian or, or whatever uh, novel, I, I had a thought about that when you were saying that, and I kind of felt like that was more of, like if it was like that was like the setting, but it wasn't the story. Kind of like yeah. like if a if a story if a story took place in a forest, you wouldn't say this is a forest book, you know. And I felt <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah. kind of the same thing here. Yo, man, I am. I'm honestly, I'm stealing that from you. That that is exactly the right way to say it. It really is. <laughs> what is this? A forest book? <laughs> I really like that. When I wrote the rough draft, I intentionally left out any mention of eating, going to the bathroom, um, you know, the physical survivals of what would be sort of an apocalyptic story. Because, um, kind of in step with what you just said, I think most dystopian or apocalyptic stories focus like 90% on how do they survive. You know, um, they find food here, so they stay in that area because there's food there in the supermarket or in, the, in some bunker or whatever. And I thought it would be interesting to intentionally leave all that out. Well, as it went through the hands of, you know, readers and uh, first readers and agent and editor and publishing house, they're all just like, you. I mean, people are going to go crazy. Like, how do they eat? How do they go to the bathroom? You're going you're gonna to make them think that the whole time. And my argument constantly was if it's so glaringly obviously missing well then there's a reason for it and and yeah it's an artistic reason but the reason was let's let's have a let's have an end times book 
possibly end times book, that, that isn't just concerned with that. Because we can throw in one sentence that says, they had enough food in the basement. Oh, now we're good, right? <laughs> or, and there was holes in the backyard for them to shit in. Okay, so now we're good. Two sentences and all these questions are answered? Well, if we leave them out, though, that suggests to like a reader like myself or someone else who loves horror stories and be like, oh, man, this dude left that out on purpose. And I like that. But eventually I caved in. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that hmm, it's interesting that you said that, because I, I thought to myself, like, yeah, I think that Rob and I would kind of look at that and be like, it's really interesting that he left that out. Yeah, but I don't know that we're the average readers and you being a writer, a content creator probably aren't the average reader either. So I don't know if people like like if the person who buys this at the airport getting onto an airplane, you know what I mean? Who reads four books a year because that's when they travel. Mm-hmm. You know, if they go there, if they go, man, he didn't talk about the food at all. What the fuck? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? So that's kind of a tricky, it's a tricky way to get into it. So, yeah. And that would definitely, that would be, you know, most reviews and, you know, I mean like Amazon reviews and, and comments and stuff would be like, you know, I, I, even my grammar, well, I liked your book, but weren't they hungry? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I understand, I understand. I get it distracting, whatever, but but I'm such a fan of the genre, and there are certain things. It's even weird to say I'm a fan of the genre. I'm like, I'm like constantly like living the genre. But there are certain things that like, all right, all right, we've like enough of this. You know what I mean? Like we all, you know, we don't need vampires for a second. You know what I mean? Like let's not like like that kind of thing. And I felt I feel that way about, you know, not just the monster in the story, but like the the construct of the story. Like it's okay to leave that out, and maybe leave it out on purpose. So that us other genre, you know, adorers notice it and say like, ah, oh, yeah, this guy's, you know, I'm not picketing, you know, the traditional story, but I am saying to myself, or saying to, I was saying to myself, like, yes, let's try to do something different on purpose. At that time, you get it. I totally get it. While we're talking about the important survival pieces, uh, the you know, the key to this story for, for anybody who didn't listen to our review is that uh, obviously people can't look at anything. They, they can't look outside. They have to be in a safe environment to open their eyes. So my question is, how much research did you do on this? I mean, did you at any point like blindfold yourself, try to figure out your way around the house or? Yeah, well, OK, I wrote Bird Box. When I wrote Bird Box, I was renting out the... It was like the third floor of this old mansion in Detroit. And it used to be like the, I think it was like the serving quarters or a ballroom. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was this big kind of empty open wood floor. There were eaves, small attic windows, that kind of thing. And a big oak table where I wrote Bird Box at. Sounds like a perfect setting to write a scary story. And to make it better, I had five finches um, that I never... Uh, I never locked the cage. So you quickly find out where they're going to go to the bathroom. You put some newspaper <laughs> on the ground, and it's, it's pretty easy. There's a few perches they go to, you know. So literally, you know, every day I'd be, for the duration of the rough draft, I would be writing while these five birds were flying back and forth, back and forth, you know, across this big sort of like ballroom space. And at some point... I I was like okay yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna try some of this and I did I but not blindfolded I didn't I want to say I did but I didn't um I just I did though try stuff around the house like blindfolded what I should have done was had like a friend go with me you know blindfold myself walk around the block once you know just once come on and had a, and I could still do that now I suppose 
And I should have just had a friend or my brother or someone just come with me. Like, you know, hey, if it looks like I'm going to do something really bad, you know, just tell me. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't do enough of it. So I guess my answer is kind of a lame, kind of. <laughs> you know, it's funny you said you could do that now because the difference is if you did it then, it was research <laughs> and perfectly normal. If you do it now, you're just nuts. Just <laughs> I'm definitely doing it now then. Yeah, I almost endorsed the after the facts that you're a weirdo. It's, it's a better story that way. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we, we got a little glimpse of it. was nice that you talked about the, the inf- I'm going to call them infinity creatures now. Um, because I don't know what else to call them, but, um, now that, now that you got that, which was like, you know, that's the thing that we all kind of wanted to know, but I felt like it was kind of cool. We didn't know reading the book. Um, did you have kind of a feeling of, of what their purpose of being there was or why the sudden change, or is that too much that you don't want to spoil the book? Well, I don't want to know the answer. I just want to know if he has, if he knows (laughs) what I mean. Like that's like. Are we making any sense, Josh? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm, as I am with this uh, question, even amongst friends at a at dinner party, I'm just very carefully deciding how to respond. <laughs> That's um, the thing, too, because, like, there's a reality of, like, we, I mean, you know we enjoyed the book. You listened to the review. So, like, there, there's the, we have to walk that line of, do we, do we preserve what my imagination created? Or, you know, do we dig into if, if you're willing to, you know, s- surrender some details from your process? So, like, it's like, well, I, do I, I, want- I think if I say this, this is safe because it's in the book. I think it's interesting. Uh, I'll say this. And I'm not running for it sounds like I'm running for office right now, but I'm not. <laughs> I think it's interesting that when Tom talks about, um, oh, Mallory, maybe they don't, you know, um, mean to do what they're doing. That whole part, you know, maybe it's sort of just a disinterested you know observer just like sort of like almost like clumsily this is all happening around them you know mm-hmm. i i'm not saying that that happened and i'm not even saying that i um like think that that's the most interesting thing in the world but wh- every time i read the book and i read that i'm like oh is that it is tom right about that you know mm-hmm. so I, I think ultimately i'm you know i'm i i don't really know exactly either i just kind of well, I'm not going to say that. I mean, I, I have my idea of it. Yes. I guess that's the answer. Forget it. Forget this question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the shit question of the interview. There's always one, oh, man. <clears throat> shit. I, um, well, it's uh, interesting because when you're when you're on the when. So uh, we talked about this at length when we talked about like fan fiction and stuff, too. It's that. You know, there's canon. There's canon to the story. And if you just say your answer, and I'm I'm not asking, I'm not prodding for more answer, but if you said, yeah, I know exactly what they're doing, like, that's canon. They're here, they're doing something, and you as the content creator know. So there's that whole, like, let the reader decide. I'm never all about let the reader decide. (laughs) This world exists because you wrote it and because we gave up X amount of time to live in it. Mm-hmm. Like there is an answer, and that's why I said it, it doesn't. Your answer could be like, "Yeah, man, I have no idea." That's cool too, you know. It's just one of those that I don't know. I hear people go, "Well, you know, it's open to interpretation." No, it's really not. You know, I mean, you, you give yourself <laughs> over to a book. Um, there is, you know, in my mind, there's always an answer. There's the, yes, they're here for a reason. The question is, do you know what it is or not? If that makes sense, and I'm not asking that because I think your answer was fair to you know. It's so funny. How yeah. It's like we're at the ballet. Everybody's dancing around this question. Yeah. Um, although there, you know, I take the opposite perspective, which is like it, when reading a book, uh, what you create as the writer is the fuel for my imagination to kind of make the image. 
Uh, whereas like if you're watching a movie or something, it's all kind of made for you. So I like the I like the interpretation that the writer the the reader does kind of bring his the imagination to the world too. Yeah, I you know I've written a man like twenty novels now something. Um, I think with all of them, there's some sense of like just like the uh, you know that window that might you know at the DMV that window that just kind of slides open and it's just a, a small like hey look at this like oh you know I think that a lot of people talk about um, oh I loved this um, you know uh, this drama I saw on, on TV and it was like a real slice of life right and it just kind of starts in the middle of it and it, and it just kind of ends but it, it's not really a regular necessarily story arc or whatever it's slice of life and and I really like the idea of that for horror like why can't we just you know catch like part like you open you know you look to your left and Mallory is saying we got to go we got to get out of this house and then you you know by the time you look back you just saw like a slice in time of that like wider scope you know and I think that all the books I've written have something of that to them which lies somewhere between I think what you two just said which is one says you know you know the author knows this and the other one says the author is you know handing or as you said fuel for the imagination Mm -hmm. I almost feel like it's like well what if the author just knows about that window I like that yeah I like that all right so how well would you do in that world Oh man. Oh man. Well, the thing is, I would, I like, I would want to know, again, I would want to know what it's like. Like, like really, like, I, I don't know. I don't even think it's a matter of being, matter of being stubborn. I think it's more like, like, wait, what do you mean it drives you crazy? Like, I, I want to know what that, what that, what you mean. I want to know what that feels like. <laughs> Which is a really bad idea. Uh, I think that curiosity and impatience would eventually get the best of me. I don't think I would have lasted as long in terms of uh, toughing it out as Mallory. I think that I would have been a little closer to... I, I'm not as cynical as Don, but I think I would have been a little closer to sort of the... You know, he sort of reaches that that point of like... I mean, it's to the point where Tom has his hand on his shoulder. Why don't you join us upstairs again, you know? I think maybe I would have had more Don in me than Mallory. <laughs> Well, it plays on one of the, I don't want to say worst, but it plays on something that is so difficult to control, and it's our curiosity. Like, um, in the and even reading the book, it kind of plays on that too, because like, in all fairness, in the parts where we're reading someone doing something where they can't see, like, realistically, my imagination should put like a scene where I can't see it, but I still imagine what's happening based on the, you know, like the the non visual response to what's happening so like curiosity kind of overruns or overrules in in the situation like that and and the more mystery that's involved like the more difficult it is to not yeah want to know so i i I don't think i would last very long either yeah 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 i know well i also think that mallory you know having two kids probably would obviously that would change it because you'd be like (laughs) okay you know what i need to i need to stay like together for these two and, and so I, I think that that's well I'm, I'm gonna say right now I think that's what 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 forced her to be that way but I still for some reason imagine her still like plotting through it somehow even without them you know mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. there was a real um there's a juggling act involved with like where to put um 
let me let me give you an example, and this is what I mean by maybe this won't go on there because I'm going to tell you or give plot stuff away. But you know, like when the, Mallory and Victor go to the bar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so bef- if I'm right, the scene before that is like Tom and Jules leave the house, like on, um, with the dogs to go to like Tom's house, right? So then the next chapter is Mallory in that bar, in the you know, mm-hmm. and then the next chapter is the housemates waiting for Tom and Jules to come back. So in the in between of those two moments, we learn that you know, um, what's it called? Uh, animals are not immune, right? Yep, right. So, but we know when we return that Tom is still out there. So there was there was this, with a dog. So there was a certain like juggling act at some point where you would give something away in the future, you know that that you know inform the past, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. That'd be tough to keep track of. It was. It, there were moments in the rewrite. The rough draft was just a magnificent twenty. I think twenty. Eight, uh, no, 26 day burst. The rough draft was written in 26 days, <laughs> 4,300 words a day, without a day off. Holy shit. 26 days, woke up at seven, wrote from eight to about 11.30, just not with those birds flying around the apartment, just nonstop. Like, you guys will know what I'm talking about. Like, went to bed knowing what I was going to write in the morning, that kind of thing. As opposed to, oh, ah, fuck, man. I got to write tomorrow and like, shit, I don't know what to write. Oh, maybe it doesn't matter what I write. We could always erase it. We could, you know, it wasn't like that. It was like, went to bed and was like, mm-hmm, okay, then tomorrow we'll have Don. Wake up and work on that. Do whatever during the day. Went to bed. Okay. Oh, yeah, oh no, right. Okay, tomorrow, Mallory. You know, for like a month. Finished it. Just coincidentally finished it on Halloween. Nice. And, and that night through a Halloween party, um, all my family <laughs> and friends so. were there. Yeah. It was it was just amazing. You know, somebody toasted Josh finished writing a book today. I mean, it was just glorious. It's like that that kind of artistic like a creation experience that every artist is really gunning for. Just a there was no self doubt. There was no you know there were it just nothing got in the way. But then of course during the rewrites there was like you know like like geez my god like bathtubs of, of self doubt you know. But but that <laughs> that initial run was fucking good. That was a good one. So. That's amazing and and helpful to. I'm not going to name who this is, but but a good friend of this podcast is um, up against a deadline where they have to have a finished product into the publisher by uh, the end of the year, and <laughs> I believe they may have just really started like two days ago. So see, it's possible <laughs> to do in like a month. Oh yeah. Oh oh, absolutely. No, I, I'm even a fan of like, you know, um, just barfing out that rough draft just. Absolutely. I just always look at it like it's. A, I would much rather look at a pile of a stack of paper and say, you know, okay, I can fix this, rather than this empty space on the desk where it's like, am I ever going to write that story? You know, or mm. am I ever going to do it? I would. I would honestly. I would rather have a bad version of it than no version at all. And so, with that in mind, and if you really, really, really do believe that, you know, philosophy, then you can absolutely just pound out, barf out crap out a rough draft in like a month and worry and just worry about it later honestly you know and and also it's the kind of thing where you you have your even if you have an outline you have your landmark moments that you want to hit maybe in the story or like big scenes you have in mind but if you work that fast and daily and kind of force yourself to do it there's gonna be so many like like tangents 
and, and peripheral and in between like moments that when you go back and read that rough draft and you'll be like, oh man, I'm so fucking glad that I did this this way, you know? Because I didn't, I didn't like labor over every moment and sit and like, oh, what happens that I just went and went and went. And then some of those things that you weren't planning on that you wrote only because you forced yourself to, you're going to love. Yeah, I think that I think that works for a lot of different things. Just momentum, just getting moving. Yeah, Yeah. just helps you keep moving. Yeah, same for reading a book. I guess not as much effort and time, but (laughs) no, you're right. Yeah, it is like that. I was talking to a friend the other day about that. Like, I was like, oh, I think I'm in reading shape again. Oh, what's reading shape? Well, I mean, it's just like running or anything. You get on a roll, you start reading. You know you know, a couple, like a book a week, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and you really, you can really get going. And But when you take like a month off, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, it's funny you say that because in my in my daily life, at my job, um, a lot of times people will ask me like, you know, how do you, you know, how do you read so much or how do you, you know, what what can I do to read more? And I tell them like exactly what you said. It's a muscle. And the more you do it, the more you're going to be able to, you know, read um, but also the better you're going to retain, um, because retention is huge. Like I could read a lot and if I don't pay attention, like that's what the podcast has done for me is, is, is the retention part is a lot better than it used to be. So there's a lot of truth to that. There is, there is being in, in, what did you say? Reading shape? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, yeah, I, I'm fucking super reading muscular by now. <laughs> While we're on the tangent, I had a, conversation today with someone they were like oh really you guys review like a book a week how do you find the time to read that so i, I actually broke it down and i was like well i don't know i i, I average like a page a minute like a 300 page book takes five hours over the course of the week i'm like that's nothing yeah <laughs> you know i mean when you really break it down it's not if you commit it you know i mean that's like watching like six tv shows you know what yeah, I mean? well, so my girl and i allison who's by the way her birthday is in 21 minutes um allison and i we just got rid of our tv we we not just we 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 got rid of it you know a couple of years ago whatever it was because of these things it's like we want to write and read and, and and create and blah 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 and it's like look man yeah I mean I I could sit and watch even if it's a great show I could sit and watch that show or like read like the new like you know a new horror novel or some a member of the horror writers association or or that sort of thing you know like oh come on it's just so much for me it's so much better this way I mean you know there's a, there's a lot of it's funny when you go without a TV for a couple of years. There's all these like sort of pop references you know nothing about. You know, suddenly <laughs> people are talking about like commercials and shows, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. And but at this, but, but uh, it's really, really doing something for me. Do you guys know what John F. D. Taft? Do you guys know him, the horror writer? No. It's good. I just, I just read. He's a member of the Horror Writers Association. I just read. His book that came out recently, and man, man, blew my mind. Um, but that's what I mean. I probably would not have read that book if I was watching, you know, some TV show all the time. So, and what you were saying, you know, I know some people that say they read 30 pages a day. Like, that's what they do. So that's mm-hmm. 200, you know, 200 a week, let's say, right? You start to add up those numbers, and that, that's like, like 40, 50 books a year or something. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. All right, so you brought up the Horror Writers Association. We weren't sure if we were going to talk about it um, on this episode or on the next episode we did, but the uh, the Horror Writers Association lost, uh, well, the horror community lost a champion um, just yesterday um, in Rocky Wood. Um, did you have anything you wanted to say about that? You know, I'm in a sense, it's, it's strange. 
because I'm I'm new to this, new to the horror circles. Um, I've been, you know, surrounded by horror and and in love with horror and for my whole life. And when my band was on the road, you know, I met a guy in where was that in Arizona in uh, Tucson that wrote horror, you know, and I met a guy in Jackson, Mississippi that wrote horror. When whenever the band would go to those two cities, I was so excited to see these guys and hear their like new ideas. Right. That's how minimal my contact was with like horror writers. This is really before like so, social media has gone, gotten to what it is now and this sort of thing. And when Bird Box was released, um, my it was right around the time of the World Horror Convention in Portland. And so my agent arranged it that we would throw a party um, there for the release of Bird Box, you know. And it was upstairs and, like, I don't know what floor, but it was high in this hotel. And we're at this horror convention. And I'm, I'm sort of in, like, love land with the idea that all these people there are so well-read in horror and just obviously love it. Um, I'm meeting, you know, just writers and artists. And I, I, I was, like, over overwhelmed, like, blown away by this, right? And at the party, there was a man in a wheelchair, you know, and I'm, I'm drunk and everyone's drunk. And, I'll, you know, I talked to the guy in the wheelchair for a minute. And the next night were the Stoker Awards. And afterward, the, you know, you guys know what the Stoker Awards are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, right? And then the next night... Or whatever it was, I just remember somebody was like, oh, there's the president over there. That's Rocky Wood. And I looked over, and it was the fella in the wheelchair that was at the party. I, I just I had no idea that that's the president of the HWA. And I went over to him, and I introduced myself, and he was super kind and super intelligent, and so were the people around him. And it almost I almost felt like I was – it was very cool. Like I was meeting the people who are, who are like the caretakers of the genre. You know, mm-hmm. as as if it was almost like like this very wonderfully intelligent dark circle, you know, um, who 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 were in charge of like the pulse and health of the genre, and I immediately you know took to them, took to the whole thing, became friends with him online. Um, he read Bird Box. Uh, we talked about it in like chat room and. And I would just write him letters like, hey, man, like, I don't know if you are aware of how much you're really doing for this genre. He probably he probably was aware because a lot of people felt that way, <laughs> um, all of us. But I realized pretty quickly, like, man, this this guy and this organization is so encouraging and so like inspiring. I'm reading, you know, from from the biggest name to the smallest name. I'm reading like horror novels daily, weekly of other members. Um, a lot of them are recommendations from Rocky Wood, Lisa Morton, uh, John Palisanos, like members on the board of the HWA. And I honestly, it, it just, it, it's devastating. I feel like I was like, if Rocky was inside his house, I was literally turning the doorknob on friendship with him. You know, I was walking into his house about mm-hmm. to become like just legitimate lifelong friends. You know, we were like, like a, like a, a joke away or something, you know? And I, and I had noticed that he um, wasn't online for two or three days, and I was a little worried, and I said something to either Allison or a friend. I was like, yeah, man, I don't know why Rocky Wood hasn't been online in a couple of days, and then obviously the news, really bad news, broke yesterday, and it was devastating. And in, in a kind of selfish way, I was like, oh, I, really, I really believe that me and this guy were about to become lifelong friends. It, it, it was... 
you just imagine being alone with something that you love this much for, for that long. You know, I'm 39. Imagine being alone with it for 39 years. And then you meet someone who is like, who, who not only, you know, thinks like-minded, but knows how to like present it to like everybody he meets. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was a big, uh, yeah, it was a big loss, man. But I, I know that Lisa Morton, who was the vice president, has been nominated president. And so I think, I don't think any of us could have thought of anyone better. Any, anyway, we're all excited about that. But, man, I just, it makes me wish that Bird Box, you know, came out 10 years ago. And maybe I could have met him then, you know? Yeah, I, I, it it's it's weird. And I don't really have a, a corresponding experience that, that kind of is is that personal. But... I can absolutely identify with um, one of the things, the unintended consequences of starting a podcast where we review books is that we started to know authors and we're, we know lots of authors and we've talked to people that we have respected for years. So it really opened up a door to having a personal relationship with these people who are like fucking astonishing at what they do. And so yeah. I can fully identify with that. There's, I mean, I I wouldn't be speaking hyperbolically to say that this has like the podcast has absolutely changed my life and 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 really like opened up so many doors as far as just like having awesome people in my life. So I can identify with that, but yeah, that that's that's got to be and, and the again the unintended consequence of that is that like you have to feel those heavy losses that 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 come along with it. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you've established sort of a world around this this particular situation or set of circumstances, do you see there being anything more coming from that story, or have you kind of closed the door on the Bird Box universe? Well, a, a, a few. I have a few thoughts on that. Number one is goes goes back to that like that slice of life thing. I love the idea of it was just that he just I, we just got that window with her like whoa you know, and then if the next book, a completely unrelated story, has a similar sort of in-out, wow, what was that feel, the whole story, not just a creature or entity in the story, you know, then those start to form like a sort of tapestry of like sort of like impressions or images, bird box, uh, uh, carpenter's farm, goblin, like things start to sort of, you know, whatever, starts to become more of like a, a quilt of like different ideas versus one story that is like continuing, right? I think that because... I've, I have a, a, you know, a strange story in terms of I had written so much before Bird Box came out and so much since. I think I've written, since Bird Box was picked up, I think I've written like seven novels or something. <laughs> so, so it's like there's like 20 novels right now and there's like 12 novellas and to go back immediately or, or how about this, to have the second book be you know like a sequel or whatever – that just sounds crazy. It's like, come on, man. If you're a man of many ideas, let's let's just make that known right now, you know, and let's have fun with that. You know, let's present yourself that way. Um, of course, and again, I'm not running for office, but that said, I'm not opposed to it. I, I am interested to know what, what might happen to Mallory further or, as some people have suggested, what about someone else in that world, you know, those kind of things, or the kids. I mean, I actually feel like there could be a really scary story still in there, but it, it's just, man, just not next, you know? Oh, you can There's always just too, the, many, too many ideas for it to be next. 
you can do the shining slash doctor sleep thing. Just reapproach it forty years from now or whatever. I'm gonna do it in forty years. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we had this note kind of at the top, but I think this is really a more fitting place for it. So the um, Goodreads Reader Awards were just announced for um, for horror. Um, specifically uh, today. Was it yesterday? Maybe it was yesterday. Anyway, by the time the listeners are listening to this, who knows when it was. So, um, <laughs> And you came in very near the top in um, in fifth place with Bird Box. So first off, congratulations. Hi, thank you. Um, second, we'd like to say we also reviewed The City by Dean Koontz, and that wasn't horror, so we're officially bumping you up one spot. <laughs> we that wasn't horror? No, it wasn't. Oh, so no. That was on Nate. <laughs> That was just on his name then, I suppose. Yeah. I, well, and you know what? We were, we talked about this right before the episode. Rob sent me the link. And, you know, I was looking at this. I go, man, you know, Prince Lestat came out, goddamn, like two weeks ago. I highly doubt that, you know, <laughs> the 22,000 people that voted got through all that and voted it as the top book. Of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, in, in that time frame. So I will say, though, that taking away from, you know, but the name thing. So you've got. Anne Rice and, and Dean Koontz, but sandwiched in between is someone I'm not at all familiar with, so I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, the Emma yeah, Carey? You know, you know I, I received a um, a Facebook message not that long ago from, man, where was it? Like the, sweet, like the Swedish or the Danish maybe publisher of Bird Box mm-hmm. um, asking if I, if I had read that book, The, the Girl with All the Gifts, right? Yes. Um, and, and I hadn't, and she was like, oh man, if we're putting that one out and Bird Box around the same time if you would read it and give a blurb, whatever, you know. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I, and I haven't done it yet. I don't think they needed it yet. Or maybe they did and I messed it up. I hope not. But anyway, um, yeah, so I knew, I had like a feeling that it was good from that, from her, the woman's email. She was really excited about that one. And um, I didn't read it though. So then, right, to see her between Dean Koontz and, um, uh, what's it called? Um, Ann Rice. Rice was like, holy moly, yeah. Well, we should read it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like an unofficial blurb. We, oh, yeah, I'm not allowed. It. It's, it's a blurb. We should read it, Josh Mallard. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> All I'm going to say about that Dean Coons book is it was like, all right, so we had someone else on before. His name's Rob Roberge, and he had an anecdote about how he had been at a conference where Dean Coons went on this kind of racist tirade, and then he got interviewed by the L.A. Times about it. And then this book, just probably by coincidence, is the only Dean Koontz thing I've ever read, had some racial, questionably racial themes to it. So in my mind, it's just this like exercise in pretending he's not a giant racist. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to Google that. I might Google that right now. <laughs> I, I in no way am saying that Dean Koontz is an, an incredible racist, but um, every all the anecdotal information I have points in that direction. <laughs> so. And guess who got caught up defending Dean Coons? I did. So there you go. Livius is always the apologist of the episodes or the, of the podcast. So. I am. So at any rate, we just basically wanted to say congratulations on on uh, ranking very very high in that in that category. I'm glad that earlier you talked about it being horror because one of my questions was framed a, that I originally started with. Like, Rob was talking about it. it's kind of a thriller. It's kind of a horror book and and. Yeah, I wanted to ask, like, do you think it's horror? And I thought, you know, you just think it's a story. You know, it's typically what I think the author thinks. So I'm glad that you actually clarified that, like, yeah, this is this oh, yeah. is going to be, you know, specifically horror. So well, and you know, I, feel- I have, I well, I have a couple friends who, you know, we all started, you know, fell in love with literature at the same time and writing. And well, one day we're all going to write books, you know. 
And we, you know, we all, and I've always been a horror fan, but I, I did go on like a classics kick, you know, read everything by Fitzgerald and Hemingway and Virginia Woolf and Proust. And I mean, really went through them all. And that, that travel through the um, classics brought me to Dracula. I mean, I was almost just going down like the, you know, the list of classic novels brought me to Dracula and sort of reminded me like, oh, dude, why did you take a year off from horror? Like, let's get, let's get back. Right. And so my friends, some of them will be like, hey, why are you writing like horror stories? And some will be like, oh, those aren't horror stories. But I think that obviously the word horror has some just really lame connotations like, oh, it's a torture story or it's a stalker or rape or, or vampire, zombie, werewolf. And, and those, those are about, that's the whole spectrum right there when you say horror to someone who doesn't really know the genre. And I think that sometimes that's a little dangerous for me. And for any, um, you know, horror author, when you're like, hey, I write horror, you know, and you're, yeah, you're kind of, you're setting yourself up for the person you're talking to to think like, oh, I'm not into that, you know, as opposed to I write weird tales or, or I write novels or I write, you know, you know, um, ghost stories even sound probably better to the non-horror fan, right? To me, that's like, this guy's non-committal. So, so I, I don't know, I guess I... Have, I find myself on some like almost silly crusade to, to like always just like stand by my word, you know, like my not my word, my my genre, stand by it, and 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 it's like no, I am a horror author, and I'm gonna help you know show people who don't know what horror really is, you know, and if that's hurting me a little on along the way, I don't care. To me, Bird Box is absolutely 100% a horror story. I love that, and I fully support that, and. um labeling genre labeling has has been a topic that we've talked about a lot on the podcast there's some ta- there's some labels that I think are bullshit like speculative speculative fiction and stuff I just don't really care for like some things people just try to label for the sake of labeling but uh are you, are you familiar with Stephen Graham Jones Is he, he's not like the editor of anthologies no he's a, a novelist uh, he's an, yeah he's an author okay yeah I don't know all right we're gonna send you some of his stuff but anyway um we, we've had a, we've interviewed him and stuff, and, and one of the things that he always said, or I've heard him say, which I think is is spot on, is that like if anything is is a label more than like an actual like so horror is a genre, um, sci-fi is a genre, that type of thing, and literary is really just something you can attribute to pretty much anything. It's just like literary in a way equates with quality. So like, yeah. if you say if you say you write literature. Or you write literary fiction, you're basically just saying I write something that doesn't fit in a specific genre. Almost like saying you write horror, you can write horror, and if it just happens to be high quality, it's like it's got a literary, you know, right. yeah. yeah. So I think leaning into the genre, I, I kind of admire that. I guess is what I'm saying. Stephen well, Graham Jones also, is to amazing. To to keep going with what you're saying, it's then it almost becomes like. Because we all kind of take literary to, to, it's like, oh, this is meaningful. So if you're like, oh, I write, you know, literature, you know, that almost is saying, like, I write meaningful yeah. books. It's a little oh, yeah, like Oprah, like Oprah's sticker is going to end up on your book because you write <laughs> yeah. literature. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, my agent and um, the publishing house, they they actually do talk about Bird Box as literary horror, and they do say thriller and stuff. But I mean, I, for those of us who swim regularly in lake horror you know it's it's so much wider the lake is so much wider so much deeper so much darker so much rockier more fun than you know really the zombie 
uh, vampire werewolf trio that everyone thinks of. And you guys know that. So, mm-hmm. All right. We're going to switch gears a little bit um, because we – and I, 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 I will say this. I kind of apologize. We read your biography or your bio on the, on the review episode. And I was like, oh, he's a musician. He's with his band. And I did zero research. So tonight I just set up my new Google Chromecast and I was playing with the Google Play app and getting ready to do this interview. I look at the bio and go – I should see if I can hear this guy's uh, this guy's music here. So I went ahead and I, I pulled it up, and holy crap, man, you're a fairly established musician too. Yeah, the High Strong have. I don't know if you saw this, but we have a theme song for. Uh, we wrote the theme song for a um, a show on Showtime, Shameless. You guys, yes. oh, it takes place in Chicago. Yes, I have not seen oh, the yeah. show. I'm very I'm familiar with it, but I've not actually watched it. But yes, I did, and I saw that, and that's I was like, I actually what happened was I was looking at the album covers, and I was like. This guy looks like that actor because I didn't see the the I didn't catch the shameless thing. So I'm looking at it and I, I go, I go, wait a minute. I go, this is on the shameless soundtrack. So Yeah. Um my bandmates and I, uh, we've been best friends since we were about eleven years old. And um they were playing forever. I was writing what just really silly, like dark poems, you know, especially in high school. You guys I'm sure understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. And um, one day, one of my friends started singing one of those poems over uh, the other friends playing instruments, and that was sort of like opened my eyes to, oh, hey, wait a minute, we can write, this is how songs are written, right? Well, and that led to years and years of us playing together, making albums, touring concurrently while I was like writing novels, you know, at the same time. So it's been a long, I don't, I don't want to say juggling act, but it would be like, wrote an album move on to the no- the next novel, then write the next album, move on to the next novel. And I almost feel like the band is the reason why I wasn't ever really like shopping my stuff around for a long time because we were on the road, I mean, really having the time of our lives, playing in a different city, like 200 dates a year for like six years. Wow. Yeah, really. And and so there was this sense of like, I never saw the the growing pile of rough drafts novels as being um i never saw it as like something desperate or or dollar signs like oh oh, shit i gotta shop these you know i'm like these are my ticket out of here well there was no i didn't want to get out of there you know the 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 touring life and everything was like so fun (laughs) so yeah these these were going on at the same time forever and at just about our brokest i mean just we were really really like uh uh-oh for a minute there and and our drummer, he left the practice space and he called me. I was still there. He was like, hey, dude, uh, this, you know, Showtime wants one of our songs for the for a theme song. And it was like, oh, wait, what is going on? Because, like, we're this, you know, small band. And, I like, you brought up the double door in the Metro. And I'm like, yes, we opened for a band there. You know, I want to make sure you know that. Like, we weren't headlining at the Metro. That's, that's a band that's, you know, selling a lot of tickets or whatever. But, you know, we were more of a mutiny band, right? So... So to have a theme song and that kind of thing was uh, freaking amazing and could not have been more well-timed. And not that long after that is when, um, you know, Bird Box was picked up and all that. So it was in the same way that it's like been writing books and songs forever and just like loving it, loving it. As you said earlier, the momentum, go, go, go. And then hmm, a bit of a breakthrough on the song side and and a really big breakthrough on the book side. And it's it's it just feels like amazing. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I I did. I honestly I spent probably two hours listening to to your music on um, on shuffle 
while I was kind of, you know, screwing around and getting ready for the podcast and stuff. So my question, I guess, because that was just kind of like a statement, like, hey, you do other stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want this to turn into like you don't feel like I, I realize this could be like an hour long answer. But how, how do you feel music, creating music and, and lyrics and, and songs, the actual music differs from creating fiction or does it in your mind? Well, one thing that I think I'm doing that I or I was doing for a while that I need to probably stop doing is that if I ever had like a short story idea, it became a song. Um, okay, uh, I had one about um, a, a, a grave a grave digger who gets um, bored, his mind wanders at the cemetery, and he starts you know mixing up all the um, uh, what's it called um, names and dates on the tombstones and, <laughs> until he's made up his own imaginary like oh this woman was never born and this guy lived 400 years you know kind of goes through his own cemetery you know with all these made up dead people right and i was like yeah that's that's not enough for a, for a, for a novel you know so it became like a song but what's happened is there's sort of like a divide where now i have all those novels and novellas like i told you and a ton of songs but no short stories Except until like recently, the other day, actually, like zero, you know, after like years, decades of writing, no short stories, really, man, you know? <laughs> and so I almost feel like you're, you're asking, you know, I guess what I'm saying, of course, there's a difference in like, you know, poetically, lyrically, that sort of thing. And you only have so much space in a song and, and whatever, you know, but there is something bizarre, a bizarre pattern that I need to break because, because, you know, first of all, well, I guess what I could do, I could even write the, the stories of the songs and have both, right? But it seems like for a while that was like a great like inner relationship. Like, okay, because then you have ideas for songs. But then to turn around and have like no short stories to speak of, I'm like, okay, I got to reevaluate the separation of these two. Sometimes I think maybe I separate them too much, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, this is for that and this is for that. And then you heard the music today. It's not, obviously, it's not scary songs, you know? No, they're not, not like, freaky they're sort of like uplifting mm-hmm. you know poppy uh, poppy music mm-hmm. and so you know and then the uh, the books are very you know whatever they are i guess you read bird box so you know whatever that separation is it all makes sense to me in the way that cartoons um uh you know like comic books and and rock and roll and horror novels and and you know like that all in pizza that all like makes like sense in one exciting, almost childish way to me, you know. Pop music and a scary movie, you know. Let's let's drink some like soda and get crazy, right? And I think that sometimes it might be interesting. Like, hey man, what about writing like an album of like scarier stuff, you know? What or a sci-fi album? And you don't have to like you know go crazy and write like the worst horror album ever. But what about like a sci-fi, you know? I don't know, a whole album that takes place on this planet or, you know, that kind of thing. But that's funny because I never see myself going the other direction. Hey, why not write a novel that's not horror? No, 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 I don't want to do that. (laughs) 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 So there there is some strange, I I don't know if you guys do like more than one, um, I, I know you do more than one thing in your life, but more than one like sort of like, you know, artistic endeavor. But like to leave one and step into the other is always a little bit difficult, 
you know, mm -hmm. um, where you like you just finished like a whole album and then you turn around and you sit down on the typewriter and you're like, ah, shit, I've been listening to like guitars and harmonies and now, okay, write a book, write a book, you know? The, 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 the exchange is, is always a little bit turbulent. Not that this necessarily compares, but I guess the closest comparison I can come to is that we put out an anthology um, of, of stories written by authors we'd had on our podcast. And um, it was my first time as an editor. Um, and actually switching from podcast to editing was a relief. It was like, oh, I ah. got to do this instead for a while or <laughs> kind of going back and forth. <laughs> uh, so uh, do you ever experience that at all? Like, oh, I'm going to step away from this and kind of clear my mind by doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, even in just the, the realm of, um, well, hmm. well, I was about to say in just in the realm of uh, writing novels because of the rewrites and that, right, versus mm -hmm. the writing from scratch. Mm -hmm. But I do think that I have a lot of like Ed Wood in me where I'm like, oh, that rough draft uh, here. We wrote the end on it. It's done, you know. <laughs> and, and sometimes my, you know, my the other day. Recently, my agent was like, Josh, when you send me your books, do you do you ever go through them after the rough draft? Like, have you <laughs> did you like look through this one? I was like, no. Why would, what do you mean? No, I didn't. And she's like, okay, for now on, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I don't know. You know, I, I find anytime I'm away from writing novels for too long, I can start to go a little crazy. And I'm sure Allison could could would say the same thing i can start to go a little little batty from that um well it sounds like you are constantly creating and and so i'm going to frame this question a little bit specifically uh usually we say hey what's 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 next for you but i guess the the real question is what what are we going to see next from you whether it's music or, or or books or something else well i am rewriting book two for harper collins right now um I'm really excited about it, um, and they haven't seen it yet, so I'm rewriting it. You know, uh, like I wrote it, the agent and I, and the manager and lawyer, we all like went over it and what we thought, and I'm working on that. Um, and oddly, and not oddly enough, I am considering making for the band a um, uh, writing a sci-fi album, sort of a double, like crazy long, weird album. Um, I did release on Halloween a um, Kindle single called Gasoline Yule. It's about two um, uh, horror directors, horror uh, movie directors from the 60s who are obsessed with each other and, and are trying to constantly outdo each other, right? Um, so that's Bird Box and Gasoline is all I've got out there right now, and I don't think there will be another, like, you know, fiction until book two from HarperCollins comes out. All right. And I don't know when that is. <laughs> <laughs> More to that'll come. be next year, though. I mean, that'll be like, you know, at some point next year. But, you know, I don't know when. I've recently learned a phrase that basically is a, a restating of I don't know, and it's more to come, which I use constantly now. More to come on that. Yeah. So you can steal that if you want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How kind, that one, How and, kind and that one and this is a forest book. Yeah, this is a forest book. <laughs> more to come on forest book, too. <laughs> um. All right, so before we let you go, is there anything specifically you'd like to plug? I mean, we've been telling people now for two episodes that they need to get Bird Box. Is there anything you'd like to to pitch to folks? Uh, your stuff or something of someone else that you're, you're uh, a fan oh. of? Oh, well, I mean, I absolutely, that John F.D. Taft, the end in all beginnings is absolutely magnificent. I just got, 
Hell Comes to Hollywood Part 2. That um, It's a book that has a story from John Palisano and Lisa Morton, who was just named the president of the HWA. Um, those are, yeah, those two are great places to start. And I don't know if you guys know him, John Skip. Um, mm-hmm. John Skip and Craig Spector wrote um, many books together. And one of them, The Bridge, I read recently that I've been just, I mean, just out of my mind, blown away by. I can't remember what year it was published, 90-something. I can't remember right now. But, yeah, and for horror fans listening, John F.D. Taft, The End and All Beginnings, just just go check him out. You know, it's it's a book of novellas. The first one, I was like, oh, yeah, well, this, wow, hmm, this guy's good. And by the second one, I was like, oh, shit, this guy, like, I, now I need to read everything the guy wrote, you know? <laughs> and I ordered another one. I got another one of his on my desk right now. So... He, that's one of the absolute beauties of that HWA is that here's a guy that like, I don't know, you know, maybe he'll be like really famous or whatever, who cares, right? But either way, like now that I am in that world, in that circle, I know about this guy and whatever, horror fans, check out the end and all beginnings. Excellent. Well, uh, Josh, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. It's been an, an epic and wonderful conversation. We're glad we got you on. Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was sweet, man. That was fun, guys. All right. Holy crap. Um, you know what? I enjoy all, all of our interviews. <laughs> I really do. But this easily moves into one of the top like five spots of the interviews we've done over the last three years. Yeah, um, it's tough to like it. And I don't want to rattle any you know cages or anything, but this is approaching like David James Keaton levels of entertainment. It was a really solid and entertaining interview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really glad that it didn't work out for us to do it with the episode or it would have been another two hour <laughs> episode because, you know, so we, were, we were talking to Josh and we were like, yeah, you know, half an hour, whatever. But holy crap, man. I mean, I would have kept going, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, trying to have some kind of time constraint on this damn show. Yeah, that's the one. And, and this is one of those times where it's like I almost get a little like like jealous competition between like myself and the podcast. It's like, I just kind of want to talk to the dude, but I also want to give good content to the podcast. So it's like, I kind of fight with professional mm-hmm. versus personal conversation. Um, but obviously we got to put out some good product for our listeners. So, uh, we, uh, we kept it to the, the, the relevant conversation. Exactly. So, yeah, so definitely pick up, um, bird box, um, easily the best horror book we've reviewed, right. Ever. I mean that's probably oh, it, well we've re- well I mean we did get that this is horror award for podcast of the year so we have talked a lot a lot of horror um, mm-hmm. but definitely I have to say this year easily yep. apologies all right I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it up there just because Night in the Lonesome October is one of my favorite books of all time <laughs> so I'll I'll put it at a tie with that but um yeah pick that up uh and, and gasoline Yule the the Kindle the Kindle short um available on Amazon for like a buck. I just purchased it myself just now in the moment while we were talking about it. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So um, uh, we don't know when you're hearing this, so we don't know what's up next. So we're just going to leave it at kind of a generic closing. Uh, Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. (laughs) What's he going to say? What's he going to (laughs) say?